0: I think there is something of Job in all of us. Job was a good man, but he suffered greatly. And every little thing that happened to him seemed to be a great calamity. He keeps going to God again and again and again, saying like, why are you allowing this to happen? He begins that passage today, life is a drudgery. God, that's the last thing we want to hear first thing in the morning, isn't it? You know? But he didn't really understand what suffering was. And so God tries to enlighten him again and again. He says to Job, you know, why are you so worried about this little thing? why does it consume you? Why do you allow it to take over your life and even for you to doubt who I am as God? Job is always seemingly pessimistic throughout his life, but he begins to slowly understand and realize then what God is showing him. And I think there's something of that in in all of our lives, is that we always don't fully understand or try to understand what God is doing in our lives. Why am I suffering with whatever it may be at this moment? Why do I feel that God is is punishing me at this moment? Why do I feel that God has kind of just forgotten all about me and my situation, whatever it may be? rather than seeing everything that happens, as, as difficult as it may be, as coming from the hands of God in order to lead us to a deeper understanding of who God is. It's not that God inflicts punishment or suffering or pain, but that God gives us the strength to understand who He is in the midst of that moment. So we strive not to be like Job all the time, but to open our lives and our hearts to that power of God's love, which then says, here is my plan, here is my will. And in the face of human suffering, we need to accept and understand that Word of God even more. In biblical times, suffering was often seen as a result of sin. The more somebody suffered, it was interpreted the more they were a sinner, a great sinner. Nothing could be further from the truth. We deal with suffering every day of our lives. And God is part of that suffering. God is part of that journey and that struggle and that doubt. Even when I'm questioning what is going on, even crying out to God or being angry with God, He is still there. He's with me in that moment to show me His love. And that's why when it comes to the gospel today, we see how Jesus deals with suffering and pain. This chapter, this passage in Mark's gospel, shows us a kind of a typical day in the life of Jesus. Mark's gospel is so easy to read because it just kind of goes through a list of events of what happened, and that's exactly what we hear today. But it's the sick, the poor, the possessed, all those who were on the margins of society, those who were accounted for as nothing, those who'd been dismissed by family and community, they're the ones who are coming. They're not just coming, but they're flocking to Jesus. At one point it says the whole town was at His door because they believed in who Jesus was. They believed that he was somebody who could help them, who could make sense of their situation, who might even accept them. It begins with Jesus going into the house, and Simon's mother-in-law is sick with fever. The Gospel says he took her by the hand, raised her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Think about that for a moment that that hand of God reaching out to heal, to change, to transform. You will never, ever see the hand of God like this. That's not who God is. The hand of God will always be open, as it was in the manger, as it was on the cross, and as it will be when God finally calls us home to Himself. That hand of God is there to heal. And so the Scriptures abound with examples where Jesus breaks down the barriers separating one from another with His healing touch. He goes into the suffering, the pain of that person, whatever it may be. He reaches out and touches them and changes their lives forever. The power of the healing hand of God. And that beautiful image of the hands of a priest. In a few moments, you will see my hands invoking the Holy Spirit to come down and change gifts of bread and wine, which we don't need, into the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which we are longing to receive. The laying on of hands during the sacrament of anointing of the sick, if you've ever received that sacrament. And the priest says, we lay our hands in your name. The hand that is raised by the priest when we are absolved and forgiven of our sins. The hands of a priest or a deacon who hovers over hands that are about to be joined by man and woman in the sacrament of marriage. The hand of the bishop who anoints us with sacred chrism at our confirmation. The hands of the priest or the deacon who pours water and says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And The hands of the priest or the deacon or the minister who gives us the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist in Holy Communion. And all those actions are not done by us, for ourselves. They are done through us, by God, for those who are called to receive them. And that's why this healing power of God is so amazingly wonderful for us to realize and to understand. Now, We all know that suffering can take its toll, and when we hear this story in the day of the life of Jesus, when the healing has finished, what does Jesus then do? Rising before dawn, he gets up and goes away to a deserted place. He needs to be alone. He needs to be in communion with His Father. He needs to receive strength from His Father in order that He can continue His mission. And again, the Scriptures abound in times when Jesus does that. And when the disciples today say, well, where were you? Everybody's looking for you. He says, you know what? Let's go on to other places to proclaim the message, to teach the message. Let's go on. He's he's energized, you know. He's renewed in Himself. The Son of God has gone to this isolated place, not a lonely place, but a place where He can be alone. And I sometimes think, and I often suggest, if Jesus needed those moments in his ministry, how much more so do you and I? But what is the first response that we hear? Oh, Father, I'm too busy. You don't know what my life is like. I've got this. I've got that. I've got the other. My kids, my family, my spouse, my work, my this, my that. What is the common word that you kept hearing there? My. And God is saying, what about us? I see that you're struggling, I see that you're wounded or in pain. I see that you are doubting and worrying and anxious. What about us? And that lonely place that we will hear about in a a couple of weeks' time at the beginning of Lent when Matthew gives us the disciplines of Lent, of prayer, of fasting, and of almsgiving, when it talks about prayer, it says, go to that room, that inner room where you can be alone with the Father. Where is that inner room? It's in here. But that means I've got to have a kind of an intimate relationship with God. And that for many people is scary. Because if God is kind of out here, if I can keep God at a distance, I don't have to then deal with that intimate love that He has for me that He wants to reach out and touch my suffering or my pain or my doubt or my worry. So if I can keep God out there, then I don't have to go to that lonely place. Make sense? If God is out there, then I don't have to go anywhere else because I'm just here with myself, you know, me, myself, and I. What better company could I ask for? God is desiring that time with us. He looks lovingly at us. He wants to reach out and to touch us, like Simon's mother. He wants to take us by the hand and lift us up. But I'm sure we all know people who would rather just stay down, And as they stay down, what do they then do? They bring us down as well, don't they? And God is trying to bring us up, to raise us up, to give us meaning and purpose even in the midst of suffering, in the midst of doubt or worry or fear or whatever it may be. So I want to ask a question simply, what is that lonely place or deserted place in your life? And do you ever go there? Now, I'm not asking you to stay there. (laughs) That's not the purpose. It's to go there in order to kind of renew, refresh, and then come back and say, okay, God, what is it now that I have to do? What do you ask of me this day? Lent is that time coming up when we begin to think about now. What can I do in that Lenten season? I won't ask you how many of you have kept your New Year's, New Year's resolutions or how quickly they were broken if we made them at all. We will do the same thing as we approach Lent. We'll make all these grandiose ideas, we'll say this, we're going to do that. No we're not, (laughs) no we're not, but it sounds good. People think we're then good. we we have these lofty ideals, you know. I'm going to lose 20 stone by the end of Lent so that I'm ready for Easter. No, you're not. I'm going to run two miles every day. No, you're not. I'm going to read the Bible every day. Probably not. Because it's never been part of our lives. So with God, we have to say, what is it that I need to do? What is that small thing that I can do today and then build upon it? What do I know that I can do? What is realistic in my life? Is it prayer? Is it adoration? Is it daily mass? Is it reconciliation? What is those things that I can do Build each day during Lent that when I finally get to celebrate the mystery of the Lord's passion, death, and resurrection, then I can say I'm ready. But I want to suggest that you have to go to that place by yourself first and then come back and begin. Does that make sense? You have to go there by yourself and then you come back. And then do what God wants you to do. But we can only do that if we have that relationship with the Lord. And yes, like Job, we will say, oh, here we go again, God. Life is a drudgery. Oh, even when I'm asleep and I want to be awake, the night seems twice as long. I don't want to be around people like that. But maybe that's also a reflection of how we're dealing with something, you know? And maybe that's okay. Maybe it's wrong to say we don't want to be around people like that. Maybe that's okay because that's where somebody is at. Maybe that's not where I'm at, but maybe that's where somebody else is at. So allow God, if you're able to, to invite you. Because God says, come. God doesn't say, go. He says, come. Let's go together to this deserted place, this lonely place. And there let me raise you up. There let me strengthen you. There let me heal you. There let me extend my hand towards you and tell you that you are my beloved child, son and daughter. And this is my will for you, whatever that may be. So why are we so afraid? Maybe we need simply to ask God to take away that fear and to show us who He really is.